All right, we're going to uh, pick up a little bit where we left off this morning. We were talking about some of those honest questions to ask ourselves on a regular basis about self-leadership. And we talked about, am I clear of my calling? Uh, is my passion hot? Is my character totally submitted to Christ? And the next question that we want to talk about tonight is, is, is my pride subdued? First uh, Peter 5 uh, B says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Peter is saying that as a leader, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he's saying, I have a choice. And he's showing us a couple of alternatives. Do I want opposition from God in my leadership, or do I want grace and favor from God. And obviously we all want God's grace and favor on us and that means that we have to walk in and live in humility. So how do you how do you do that? How do you do that in leadership? Because there's things that go with leadership that actually make it difficult to walk in humility. And I've just I've just found that there's and I don't know what you've seen and you know what experiences you've had but that I have to actually, I have to seek God for this. I have to ask God to pour humility out on me. Um, I, I have to ask him to put a healthy fear of God, uh, and I think that's a good thing when it comes to this, in me about what's going to happen to me as a leader. Like, what's going to happen to you as a leader if you entertain pride? And in fact, you know, humility and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. There's some great Proverbs here that just uh, really nail it. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. So both of them right there in tandem, side by side. Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble, there's wisdom. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And James 4, 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, one of the things that I've taken the risk to do is just to ask some of my close friends, to ask my spouse, Michael, or just the people in my life that I trust uh, ask them to see if they see any pride in my life. Uh, give them permission to speak into my life about that. If they see any, you know, do you ever sense any pride in my leadership or around me or in my language or in my actions? And just ask them to be honest and, and, and to speak into my life and give them permission. I mean, I've seen, I've seen so many leaders fall because of pride. I think it's probably the primary thing that causes us to fall as leaders. It's a pretty subtle, it sometimes has a very subtle entry point, doesn't it? But it's a slippery slope. And, you know, I've, I've honestly seen this, it's probably the biggest reason why leaders fall, because pride tells you that you are doing just fine when you're not. That's, that's where, to me, it's very 
Um, that's that slippery slope. This gap starts to come between what you think is real and, and what's really true. And then the enemy comes and he dupes you even more and, and he, he dupes, you, dupes you into thinking that there's not a gap. And so that public self versus that kind of false self that we talked about in the first, in the opening talk, you know, we walk around thinking I'm doing fine. And then, you know, a spirit of deception comes and convinces us that everything is great. And we kind of, we just completely stop being honest about our, about our shortcomings or about our deficiencies. And we have this, it, I mean, when that happens, you got a target on your back as big as the Grand Canyon for the enemy to come. And I think that that deception that follows quickly on the heels of pride starts to actually, you know, deceive us just into thinking that, you know, we're not that bad off. I'll get it sorted out on Monday, on my day off, right? And then it's kind of a, a very, you know, and the enemy really, really is enticing, I think, when it comes to leaders and pride. Because he knows how slippery of a slope it is. He knows that it's subtle. He knows that we'll get, you know, quickly, easily get deceived and stop being honest. And he knows we have a public self. And so he's, he's telling us to protect it, protect the public self. And it just, it's, just a, it's just a really, really quick way to find ourselves in, in a lot of trouble. Psalm 16, and this just is really, this verse it just really speaks out to me. Psalm 16, 1 and 2 says, Oh, my soul, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And apart from you, I have no good thing. You know, that's kind of one of my prayers. I've prayed for years, two prayers. Who do you say I am, Lord? to kind of sort out my identity and keep, keep my uh, identity rooted in Christ. And the other one is, apart from you, I can do nothing. Because that, in my mind, helps protect my heart. And, and it's kind of my prayer of humility. Like, God, you know, apart from you today, it's going to probably be pretty bad. So the whole, the whole question... Uh, that we want to ask ourselves, am I clear of my calling? Is my passion hot? Is my character totally submitted to Christ? And then is my pride subdued? And the next question is, uh, are my fears at bay? And I told you a lot of my fears stories this morning, so I won't retell those, but Proverbs 29:25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Fear is a very uh, paralyzing emotion, isn't it? I mean, I, as I've, I've spoken with and, and talked with pastors over the years, a lot of times I'll ask them questions about their ministry and why they haven't introduced certain changes in their church or, uh, you know, ministry area. And it takes a long time sometimes just to get to the bottom of it. But, but many, many times it boils down to fear, if we're completely honest about it. And, you know, we're afraid. We're afraid to pull the trigger and invite folks to Christ. And, you know, 
on a regular basis, or we're afraid of losing people, or we're afraid of offending people uh, with a, too long of a ministry time. We don't want them to get uncomfortable, and so we start to tag it on the end instead of carving it into the main and plain part of what we're doing when we gather. There's fear of, the, of, of you know, even pain, fear of conflict, fear of what people are going to say, fear of what people are going to do, fear of people leaving, fear of people leaving with their money. Fear of uh, the unknown. It just goes on and on and on. And I, I honestly think that there's quite a bit of deception in our, in our lives as leaders about and around this issue. Um, fear is, it, it, it makes us, it makes you and me have a failure of nerve. It makes us have a failure of nerve. It, it, it immobilizes us, it neutralizes us as leaders. And not a single one of us is completely free of fear or above being afraid. But when you, when you think about it, you remember that being afraid or having fear, that's not the part that's that, I mean, that's not the sinful part. That's not, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not that you get afraid that's a big deal. It's, it's the fact that we give into it, that we make decisions, that we make decisions based on our fear. That's where it, I think it turns in, it crosses a line. That's where it starts to cause problems in our leadership. That's where, you know, courage is, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of the fear and, and walking through it. People, people being disappointed in me, people that I love leaving the church, people... Leadership moral fails, staffing decisions, financial campaigns, you name it. Like, we, we've all been afraid so many times over the years, and it's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to make decisions based on our fears. And, and really, this is another one of those, we talked about several Holy Spirit red flags that we have to, we need to. This is where our self-leadership comes in. Holy Spirit, would you wave a red flag? Would you help me notice? Would you help people around me notice? Would you help me be humble and honest enough to let those people say so when they see it in me and signal me? Would you help me pay attention to the red flag when you wave it? But first we have to be honest enough to admit that, yeah, we have, we have fear. And then we have to just you know, as I talked in my story today, run to Jesus and say, help, I'm, a, I'm in trouble here, I'm afraid. And, you know, most of the time, the way that I'm able to identify that there's fear there is there is usually some emotion attached to it or to my behavior. And it could come out as being defensive or being angry or being lost or, you know, but something is not right. And when I run to Jesus, I always hear the Father ask me, and this is a, a, a practical tip, what is your worst fear, Brenda? What are you afraid of? And I'm super quick oftentimes to think, well, I'm not afraid. I don't get afraid anymore. What are you afraid? But when I'm honest and I stop and I, and I pray and I say, help me see what I'm afraid of, I'm afraid that there's something that's going to happen. And I, and I told you my story of how that happened this week about the conference and the, last night. 
And, and, and I have to come clean sometimes and just name it. And what I then need to do is get the need that it's generating. The need, there's a need. Every fear is, is it's being sprung up out of a need that I have. And so what is the need that I have? And why is it generating that fear? And then run to Jesus and say, would you come and would you meet this need? Would you meet the need that I have right now? And receive his love again and hear who he says I am. And then that fear just subsides. It just, it just parts like the Red Sea. And I think I'm, I, I I'm going to be okay because I, I hear what Jesus is saying. I know that he loves me. And, you know, if somebody doesn't approve of me or I'm, you know, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And if we don't raise the money that I said we would, I'm going to be okay. You know, or uh, the, church is, the church is yours, God. The ministry is yours, God. You love it way more than me. Have you realized that? God loves it way more than you do. You're not the hero in the story. God loves the church way more than you do, way more than I do. And somehow, God, I submit to that. You're going to take care of us somehow, some way. Fear. It's a big thing, and I... I um, I don't want us to be deceived about uh, how it comes and goes and fleets in and out of our life and, and how it does bear bad fruit if, if we don't learn to get that need met. And then the third, the third question tonight is, am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit? And as leaders, um, we, can't, we cannot afford to have a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit's promptings. There's, there truly is this supernatural dimension to leadership. And it comes our way by keeping our ears like to the ground, keeping our ears turned and tuned into the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you may want to ask yourself on a regular basis, am I still hearing God's voice? How, how long has it been? And I hope these examines that we've done have been fruitful and helped you just stop and clear, push back some of the noise. And, and, and if I'm not hearing God's voice, why not? If I haven't heard him, why not? Am I having times where I'm uh, compromising uh, the space, the margin of my life? Am I uh, having times where I'm just seeking God's heart for the, the ministry areas that I lead or the places in the church that I lead? Am I regularly like alone with God where I can really hear God's voice when he speaks? And I'll tell you, um, one of the things that I notice a lot is when people are telling their story of hearing God, it rattles something in other people who aren't hearing God. So like if you're sitting there and you're having a conversation with someone and they're telling you this amazing story of how they heard God and it hooks something in you, you feel a little bit rattled by it. Have you ever had that happen? where you're just like, hey, well, I want to hear God, right? And you kind of get this little, it's a, just a twinge of jealousy. 
because they have a really cool God moment that they can talk about. And you're thinking, I can't even remember the last one I had, right? It's been a long time since I could, you know, recount a, 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 a story of how I heard God. That's sort of a come-to-Jesus moment. And, and why, Lord? What is, do I need to repent of something? What's going on? I can't live without your voice, you know, and, and seek that. And, and ask God about it. Uh, here's another question. Do I still have the guts to obey him even though I don't understand him all the time? Or maybe if he did speak to me and tell me to do something, would I do it? Or am I, do I have a problem right now with obedience? Like he's nudging me and I'm not listening and I'm not, I know that it's going to require some obedience and sacrifice and that feels a little, little bit more than I have to give energy-wise. Uh, and so then we shrink back from it because we anticipate that we're going to get scolded if we go and try to listen to the Lord. You know, I think so often we project onto God what we think he's going to say to us, and then we shrink back from it so we don't have to hear it. Right? I find this in my own life sometimes. And then he's so different than I thought he was. My God is so different sometimes because then I, I push in and I go there because I can't stand to not go there. And then I find out that, oh my gosh, he said something completely different than I thought he was going to say. And he didn't shake his finger and say, well, it's about time you showed up. He just said, oh, I've missed you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. I've been waiting. I, I'm wanting and we have this wonderful reunion sometimes. But am I willing to actually do the things that he may whisper to me that he wants me to do? Because I think, honestly, you know, you think about this in a parent-child relationship, and, you know, studies show that when your kids start to rebel against you and they don't want to, it's pretty much because they've got your lecture numbered and memorized and cataloged in a certain file, and they could say it back to you better than you can say it to them. They've got it. They know it. And then they start to rebel against that because they've projected onto you what they think, you know, you're going to say anyway. They think they already know. And so they start to shrink back from that because they don't want to hear it. I, um, I don't know, but I guess I have some fear of the Lord in me that if I'm not taking risks in the area of the Holy Spirit and learning, leaning into this stuff of the Holy Spirit and leading the church in it. Uh, how is my church going to be any different? How is the, the church you lead going to be any different from any other church experience that has removed the ministry of the Holy Spirit? How is the, your vineyard church different than, you know, the Lutheran church down the street? What's the difference? If, if I stop taking risks in the things of the Spirit as a leader, I grew up in a church without the presence of, the, of God. I grew up in a, a, a church where the Holy Spirit wasn't talked about or invited or encouraged or nurtured. I didn't know he, I was supposed to have a friendship with him. Anybody else, that's your background? You have that in your background. And so, you know, let yourself kind of think back at those times and then remember, like, what brought you life about discovering the Holy Spirit? 
This is really good for us to think back about our first experiences and what brought us life when we started to discover the Holy Spirit. Because that's where most people in church are, especially if you're reaching new people. New people are coming into church and getting saved. And as a leader, can, can the Holy Spirit speak to me about different turns in the road or different corrections that I need to make for the church? Or we need to, uh, you know, places that our church needs to go, places that God wants us to go. It is a, a very, very huge compromise to do church without inviting others to experience God significantly. Not just a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but significantly. Because how much Holy Spirit did you need to have life change? How much Holy Spirit did I need to have life change? Years. So if somebody's going to limit how much Holy Spirit I can drink, oh my gosh, and I'd be 120 before I feel filled with the Holy right? I mean, it's like, you, you, I'm talking about you know, compromise to do church without inviting others to experience God significantly, significantly. And I'm learning that, you know, uh, before, during, and even after events that we have, I need to press in humbly to the Lord. We had an event uh, not too long ago for women, and it was called How Chocolate Saved My Life. And it was just this huge uh, outreach event with lots of chocolate, um, icky amounts of chocolate. And it was a wonderful event, and many, many people brought their friends, and um, I, I thought this was fun, it was beautiful, it was, you know, in, in so many ways, we met budget, fantastic. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things to celebrate, but I was praying about it. And as I was praying about the event and kind of just thanking the Lord about it afterwards for about 48 hours through some different things, God started to give me, like, even more vision for this event. And, and pretty soon I was dreaming about, like, next year. And I think we charged like $7, and we had a pretty good out, turnout. But something just stirred up in me, and I'm like, I want to make it free. That means I'm going to have to work harder somewhere else to make enough money to underwrite this thing, because it's going to be the first women's event of the year where we kick off all our events for the whole, you know, the whole school year. I want to tell, and God just started putting this stuff in me, and he's like, Brenda, what if you tell... Like, as many women as you can, and you got to make it free so you can get more women in the room, because you got to tell as many women as you can how Jesus feels about women. I didn't do that this year. I didn't have vision for it. And I almost, you know, I could have just, like, put the lid on it, put that file in a file drawer, but just leaning into the Holy Spirit, Jesus starts telling me what he really wants to do next year. He's like, what if you just cast vision about how, you know, this is how Jesus feels about women, and this church is going to be a church that extends the same heart to Jesus, or to women that Jesus did. And, but, you know, you don't want to charge too much, because you need a lot of women in the room to hear this message. And that's what, that's what started making me want it to be free. It's like, I don't want to say that to 140, I want to say that to 300 women. And, and so that got my wheels turning. So you see, within 48 hours, I completely believe the Holy Spirit had inspired me to change my budget, my plan, my vision for this event. And it was just so cool because it was all just from starting to let him speak into it and leaning into it. And I, 
I get excited about that because I want to do the best job that I can for my king. I don't, I don't want to give him second fiddle. I want to give him what he, everything he deserves. I want to let more and more people experience his heart. But I can't, I can't come up with all of those things. I need the Holy Spirit to help me in, in my leadership. And I'm just going to um, close with this, and then Stephen's going to come for our examine. But one of, I think, I would say our, our, probably one of our biggest challenges when it comes to the Holy Spirit as leaders is deciding uh, premeditated beforehand um, that we're going to stay standing in this discomfort of the tension of the already and the not yet. And there's a lot of temptation to, uh, you know, to gravitate away from the tension of, of holding on to both because it's hard, isn't it? And I would say that, you know, I've done quite a few different ministry times in a lot of different ways over the years, but I, I can honestly tell you that there's not a single time that it does not still feel like a risk to me. What if God doesn't come? And so it's so easy for me to, to bail or, you know, to, what, what I've had to discipline myself to do is to learn to be okay with that discomfort. Like, it's a sacrifice to be uncomfortable, but I'm the leader. And so I'm going to stand in that tension, holding on to both, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit and lead us into places where and teach our staff and, 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 and call us as leaders, uh, call those leaders in small groups to not compromise their ministry times in small group. And I, and I tell them, you can have a fantastic discussion, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and touch somebody, if they don't get experience what you talked about, then it's a big failure. I'm sorry, that's just my, that's just my, that's what I say, because... I just feel like somehow we have to, as leaders, learn how to be uncomfortable with the tension. Someone has to do that. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit stuff, this is, this is where you're going to be tempted and challenged to go the easy route and, and to stop standing there and feeling that discomfort. You're just going to be tempted over and over and over. It doesn't matter how many years you do it. There's, there's gonna, you, you have to learn to stand in that tension of the already and the not yet and the Holy Spirit ministry stuff and, and say, I'm going to fight for this and I'm going to try to continue to create arenas where the Holy Spirit can come and have his way because I want the Holy Spirit to be in the church and to be in our, in our times together because um, I don't want to do church without it. I just don't want to do life without it. I don't want to do street ministry without it. I don't want to try to reach people for Christ without it. And so um, I think that it's hard, but I think it's super important as leaders that we help each other, that we have some kind of a, a plan in place to, you know, check. And again, we're just asking honest questions in all of these areas. And as I started out saying, well, I don't, I don't know how often, I don't know what's a regular basis, but 
you know, start out asking these questions that we've talked about so far, uh, just quarterly. How am I doing? And standing in the tension and leaning into being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Steve, why don't you come and uh, we'll do a little bit of an examine before ministry time. Uh, if I could have Tricia come up and share. I'm going to share a little bit about what happened at the very first exam yesterday. And I will tell you, um, I had a hard time even thinking about the conference and letting myself think about what we were going to be doing in this conference because I knew the quiet time was coming. And I struggle very much with quiet time, and it's not a surprise. I grew up in a very abusive cult. So for me, quiet time was dangerous, and it was very fearful. But I've gotten a lot of healing over the years, and I, you know, I've gotten better with that. But I, so as the exam came, the first one came, I thought, oh, Lord, here we go. Okay. <laughs> I don't like this. Here we go. But I just found myself praying of like, okay, God, why do I struggle so much with sitting quietly in your presence? I hear you so vividly in worship. I hear you all the time, and you speak to me so clearly during worship. But why is it that? And I knew it was more, I knew there was something deeper than just... You know, you grew up, you know, quiet times, silence is hard. And so I said, okay, God, what is that root cause? And this, you know, I've been doing healing for myself for over 10 years now. And it's like, but I knew there was a root that was there. And it just vividly, I had this flash that in a picture that came to me, and it was growing up in this cult, times that we were forced, you know, you had to do Bible study, you had to read, you had to do these things, but it was all out of fear. And if you didn't do it, you would punished, and you were punished severely. So for me to sit quiet and wait for God's presence was out of fear. And that has been the root that has been holding me back. I think that's the biggie. I, I think after all these years, finally, that was my biggie. That was my big root cause that God showed me yesterday. And for the first time ever, when you said, okay, we're going to be done now, I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm still, <laughs> no, no, God's still talking to me. And it was just so refreshing to have God reveal that and to get healing for that. So, Awesome. Thank you, Tricia. The Lord is so fantastic. And uh, as we've said several times, you know, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. All right. So uh, I'll remind you guys again, as we transition from leaning forward, posture forward, engaging with Brenda, we'll get comfortable, lean back, inwardly and outwardly, to receive from the Lord um, what he has for us in our time. And I, am, I have to say that I am so impressed with you guys. I mean, you know, there's the whole Midwestern thing that I love anyway. But, like, I am impressed with the courage and the engagement that, that I see um, you guys just, like, going after God in this. Like, no matter what. Like, whether it's worship, whether it's teaching, whether it's, like, quiet time. Like, you guys are freaking awesome. So I'm just going to say that. 
before I, before I go to this, all right, so let's go to Matthew 16, uh, 24 to 28. Matthew 16, 24. Uh, actually, I'm just going to read to 27. So here we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. So uh, I don't think I have much to comment on that, except maybe to quote the great um, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, uh, when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die, right? Come and die. So I'm going to read it again, and then we'll have a couple minutes of just silence of just soaking in that verse and then we'll pick up the reflective questions. So Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will repay every man according to his deeds. <clears throat> 